thank you, Father, that in this house, you will always be magnified. You will always be glorified. You will always be exalted above every other thing. Sickness and disease are under our feet. They've been taken care of Calvary. No weapon formed against this church or the people in this church will prosper. Not against their children, not against their families, not against their friends, not against those that you have put in their sphere of influence, that they are there to pray for and to to speak the word over. Lord, we are a house of power and praise. We are a house of prayer. That's what Jesus said. My house is a house of prayer. His house is a house of praise. Be glorified. Be magnified in our midst. We give you all the glory today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Let's give him one more offering of praise this morning because he is worthy. Amen. Above all, he is worthy. Well, we're going to make our confession and then you can be seated. But we believe the word of God is true. So we confess that with our mouth, what we believe in our heart today. And we know that God honors that. So let's say it. The word of God is truth. If I live the word, I will be blessed. If I don't, I won't. It's just that simple. And you can be seated. God loves you today. He has a plan for your life. And uh, in this church this month, we're going to be talking about relationships. And I know uh, all of us in our lives, depending on how long you've lived, but there's opportunities for the enemy to get in and try to uh, tear up homes, tear up uh, friendships, tear up relationships in work settings. Um, It's just his business to steal, kill, and destroy. Amen? But it's God's business. It's God's business that we would have life and have it more abundantly. That means that in our lives, we would be in a position where we not only have enough for us, but we have enough for others. And uh, Calvary, really, that we celebrated last week, of course, we celebrate <clears throat> the life of Jesus every day in this church, that he has saved us, delivered us, set us free. But last week, specifically on Easter, we talked about uh, Calvary. You know, uh, God's number one goal was that we would, again, be in relationship with him. Church is not about a religion. Church is about a relationship with a living God, not a God who is dead, not a God who does not hear, not a God who tells us to strap things on us and go into a crowd and blow up everybody because that's going to be an entrance into heaven that we would enjoy. It's That's not our God. Our God is a good God. Everybody say a good God. But he is relational. He is relational. He wants to fellowship with his people. He wants to be able to talk to his people. He wants to be able to give us what we need for every single day so that we're victorious. We're overcomers, just like Pastor Dan said. We live a life of victory. Now, you may say, well, my life isn't very victorious. Well, it's a good thing you're here today because we're going to talk about that. God intends for your life to be victorious, not a life where you're just dreading each day. Some people just exist. Other people live. And God called us to live, not just exist, and especially in relationships. And all of us, you know, from the time we're born, we're a baby, we have a mother and a dad. You know, there's there's relationship, 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 all the way to when we go to meet Jesus, and then we'll have relationship in heaven. I don't understand exactly how it works, but I know it's going to be good, because God is good. And I really like the part where we praise God all day long. That sounds like a great idea to me. <laughs> so, you know, when we talk this today, we're just going to talk about we're better together. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're better together. You know, um, I'm going to just share today about the whole body of Christ. Next week, uh, pastors Dan and Kelly are going to share on family and uh, relationships in family, relationships 
not just in your immediate family, but just, you know, relationships. I don't know what all they're sharing, but I know it'll be good. And uh, Pastors Dan and Kelly have four children, and uh, so they have them all different ages. Uh, five different, I mean five, I'm sorry. Twins at the end, <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and so, you know, they do have a, a set of skills. You know, now I know they'll have things they'll want to tell us where, you know, they had to develop those skills. But they have a great family and a family that all love God. And so I felt that, you know, that's what we all want. We want a family that loves God first and foremost, because if they've got God and a relationship with Jesus, they're going to be successful in their life because we don't always get to be the parent on on scene. How many of you know you send them off to school and there's somebody else's for a, a big part of the day? So I, I want you to come back next week and here. And then we have on Wednesday nights, we have some single mom sharing um, we have some people going to share on blended families. I believe it'll be a help to whatever relationship you know you may be facing. And uh, God wants us to live together in peace. Everybody say peace. Peace and harmony. And that is done through putting Jesus first in our lives. So uh, if you'll turn to Psalm 133, if you have your Bible or your phone or however you look at the Bible. But uh, if not, it's up on the screen. Uh, this is what the Word of God says. And we're going to talk about unity, you know, um, and it does just begin with, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Everybody say unity. Now, the brethren would be the body of Christ. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing which is life forevermore. If you'd put that in the new living for me, um, Sandy, uh, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Everybody say harmony. It's just another word for unity. But um, I like that word harmony. It says, um, when you look at the dictionary, it says a combination of different musical notes. Now look at the person next to you and just see them as a musical note. Played or sung at the same time. At the same time, everybody say at the same time, to produce a pleasing sound, a pleasing combination or arrangement of different things. It doesn't have to be music. It's just that things are flowing together in a harmony that produces good. It produces life. It produces joy. It produces peace. Uh, and in music, it produces this pleasing sound. Here's another definition, internal calm having group unity. That's hard to achieve sometimes. Everybody say, in a group, internal calm <laughs> may be hard to achieve. You know, because if you just think about a family, you have parents who are in, you know, one age, and then you have children. You know, when you get older, you have grandparents, and, and, and then you have children, and then you have grandchildren. And generations, things change in the way people do things, but principles of God never change. Everybody say, God never changes. God never makes a new set of rules because he has a new generation. This Bible has been around a long time, and the same set of rules have been in play according to the kingdom of God, which is good for us because God has caused us to have the victory even when we may not do it right. God will turn it around and work it for good in our lives. Everybody say, he's a good God. He's a good God, and he cares about your life and the relationships that you're in. In Acts 2, uh, where the disciples, after Jesus had ascended into heaven, he had told them before he left to go and wait until they were endued with power. And it says that they were in one accord 
all the disciples and uh, about 100 people in an upper room waiting for the power of God to descend upon them, which it did. But that one accord means being unanimous, having mutual consent. Everybody say consent. That means that everybody is not only agreeing, but they're consenting to that agreement. They're not, they're not doing it just because somebody said they had to. You know, there's a difference in consent. Some people will consent to something, but they're just mad and upset and not liking it. They're really not consenting in their heart. They're just consenting with their mouth or their head. But God wants us to have mutual consent. I believe with all my heart that's why he gave us the Holy Ghost. I believe it's why he gave us the baptism, the Holy Spirit, to pray in the Spirit. Because when we're praying in the Spirit, he knows we're going to get out of ourselves and all get in agreement with God. And that's one place where we're not in charge, but the Spirit of God working through us is in charge, and we're all in unity. Everybody say unity. And so we, we have an opportunity as believers to make a decision to be in unity. And I, as I was preparing this message, I go over by the river a lot in um, and I prepare over there on the west side, and the river's flooded right now. But the Purdue crew, which is a rowing team for Purdue, um, they are out on the water. And they've been out on the water for a couple of weeks. And I've watched them. You know, when that river is smooth as glass, uh, you know, they're just rowing up and down. Uh, there's an eight-man team, and there, actually there's a women's team also. They were all on the river yesterday. And yesterday was a very windy day. And, you know, they went, um, when they went with the current of the water, uh, I thought of that song, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. And it says, merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Well, it is when you're going with the current. And if everybody's rowing the same way, you know, I mean, there wasn't one guy with his oar up in the air. I mean, there wasn't a girl, you know, just dragging her oar through the, they were all, and they were in unity. They were, they were like a symphony. I mean, you know, you could just like play a song to the way they were rowing those boats. And uh, I watched that. Well, then they came back up current. Oh my goodness. And the wind, the wind was blowing. The current was up. The water was going like this, you know, making little white caps. And they're having to row. And I'll tell you, they were rowing slower. Their, their rhythm had changed. Going down, it was woo, you know. Coming back, it was and But they were all together, all together. And then at one point, I looked out, and the middle people were rowing, and the people on each end weren't. And I thought, well, that's not fair. I mean, and then I thought, well, maybe they're giving everybody a rest. But I, I read about it. I got a paper and read about how they do all of that. And the four people in the middle of that boat, there's eight people, the four in the center, they're the powerhouse. And they row that boat. So what they were doing was working them the hardest in that place where it was the hardest to row so that they would be strengthened. Everybody say strengthened. And then after a while, everybody started rowing together again. But there was a person sitting in the front of the boat, or I don't know, bow, stern, but this person's looking at the rowers, and they're shouting orders. Everybody is supposed to do what that person is saying, and when they're talking, it says nobody else is supposed to be talking. Well, I don't know how you'd talk anyway. I don't even, I was so glad I'm a preacher and not a rower. Hallelujah. That was, that looked like hard work to me, but you know, they, they went up and down four times. I mean, a total of four going up and down. And, uh, I thought that would be exhausting, but they're training, they're training for competition. They're getting ready. 
And so they're preparing them in smooth waters, fast waters, but they're also preparing them in those hard places. But everybody has to stay in position. Everybody has to stay in unity. The, the oars have to be moving at the exact same time. Everything has to be going together like a well-oiled machine or in harmony. Everybody say harmony. And so they have one purpose. They're rowing. And I felt like God said, that's the way the body of Christ is intended to move. So whether we're in a current that's moving fast, you know, and we're merrily, merrily going down the stream in our dream, or whether we're having to come back up against that current, we're just, we're doing what we all know to do in our position, and we're doing it exactly together. Do you get it? And that is what harmony is. That's what produces a pleasing sound, even to God, I believe. If you, um, Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and some of you have been in the, in the Word a long time. Maybe others of you have never really read this, but God designed the body to function uh, in many different ways. Different people do different things a different way. We all are made differently, but we're all made to become a team, to become one whole body. And he compared it to the physical body in 1 Corinthians 12. So we're going to read at verse 12. It says, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So he's going to compare the natural body to the body of Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Or if the ear should say, because I am an eye, I am not of the body. Is, there, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye. Have any of you ever seen Monsters, Inc.? There's a little guy. He's got one big eye. That's all. He's just got an eye. And that it would be weird today if you were all eyeballs and I was an ear up here. You know, and that, you know, or I was just a mouth and you were all just one eye. We, and everybody was the same. Wouldn't that be boring? Look at your neighbor and say, this isn't boring. See, this isn't boring. We, we're all made different. We all are part of this body, though. And then it says, if the whole body were the eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? And this is the important verse right here. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. You know, whoever's directing that crew over at Purdue has placed those people in that boat in a place where they will function, they will highly function. It's going to be the place where they are going to be the best at what they do. But if the guy that's not in the middle four says, well, you know, I'm just, as, I'm just as strong as they are. Then we begin to have division. Everybody say division. We begin to have a disagreement. Why? Because they're, they're not being the eye. They're not being the foot. You know, you know that song that says the ankle bones connected, you know, all the bones, how they connect them, dry bones. Well, we have to connect in the body of Christ. Everybody say, I have to be connected. And to be connected means relationship. See, we're not, we can't do it by ourselves. Number one, we had to be restored to, to God. And Jesus did that. He, he opened the door to relationship. 
That's what Calvary was about, so that God could have fellowship with us. So once he opened that door, then we come boldly to the throne of grace, it says, to receive help in our time of need. We come into that place knowing we're part of the family. Say, I'm part of the family. See, and so when I come, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm an eye or a foot or whatever I am. It's as, it's, I need to be in that position, though. And sometimes positions shift. Uh, I know in my life, uh, when we moved to Tulsa, um, Pastor Bill went to Bible school, and I worked in the office. And uh, I would have liked to go into Bible school, but that wasn't my position in our family at that time. Now, I know that the man is the provider of the, of the home, but at that time, Pastor Bill was supposed to go to school, and I was the provider for the family. God provided in other ways due to the fact we had scholarships, <clears throat> excuse me, for our children, for him. But in that season, the fact that he was the head of the family, and yes, he's the lover, protector, provider, the leader, at that point, he had to go to school, and I had to be in that position. Well, you can't be in that position and think, I don't want to be this. Even if you don't want to be it. I told the Lord once, I don't like being this. You know what he said? Be it. You know why? Because what he was doing in my husband's life was going to lead not only our family, but in the family of God. So I had to be in the position to help him so he could be what he was. But in the end, I got to be who I wanted to be because I did what God told me to do in that position. So that boat was rowing and I was the powerhouse. Sometimes it felt like all them just sitting around in the boat talking about Jesus. And doing other things sometimes, hallelujah. But I'm rowing this boat, you know, trying to keep everything going. But when you're in position, God is working. When you get out of position, the enemy is working. So we have to be in this position. Well, how do we do that? Well, it says in Romans, and if you'll turn to Romans chapter 12, um, we, we, we go over this scripture many times in this church especially when my husband's preaching. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Everybody say living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's not three wills. That's just describing the will of God. But then you know what it talks about right after that? How to have a relationship. Say, uh-oh. See, we think about that as just being who God called us to be. No, it's about who God called us to be in the body so it'll function. It says, for I say through the grace given to me, that was to Paul, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself. You need to underline this, highlight this, and this is the answer to a good relationship. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of, of what? One another. Are you getting this? We're better together, definitely, in the body of Christ. In fact, we're not going to function well if we're not together. We're not going to be who God wants us to be. You know, um, it's not who we want to be. 
And, and sometimes who we want to be is who God tells us we're going to be. But we're just not going to be that today. Amen. So we're going to be something else for a while. And that something else may be, you know, the person who's rowing the boat in the middle, the powerhouse, while the guy on the end is just saying, hurry up, left, right. And you're thinking, I want that job. That guy just sits there. I mean, that guy in that boat sat there that whole day. Or I would have liked to have been the guy in the motorboat who just goes along, I guess, in case somebody falls out or something. I don't know what his job was, but it looked pretty easy. I mean, he had power in his boat. He just buzzed behind him all the way up the, up the river. But, you know, those are the best jobs. But they weren't the right position for who was rowing in the middle of that boat. They had to be in that position. So we have to not think so much of ourselves. You know, I was reading in uh, my Bible that I also study. It's um, John Maxwell took the Bible and he went through, it's, it's called a leadership Bible, but he took different stories of leaders in that Bible and talked about their good points, the points that they needed to work on, and he takes actual Bible characters, which just really blessed me because I, I read through the Bible a lot. So as I was looking at that, I read just this last week where he was teaching on self-discipline. Everybody say self-discipline. You know, it's, he said, if you haven't learned to rule yourself, you can't be ruling anybody else. And how we learn to rule ourselves is to be in submission in relationships, in situations where we may not be who we'd really like to be, but we're exactly where God wants us to be. And in that position is where God is doing things in our life, but not just in our life. We're there for somebody. Everybody say, I'm there for somebody. And if we're not, if we're thinking more about us, then we're not really thinking about this other person's gift. And what is the, in the body of Christ, especially we run in, we ran into this a lot when we were in Tulsa. We've run into it over the years. Is people become envious and jealous and upset because of somebody else's gift? They want to be in their position, but they don't have the gift to do that any more than fly to the moon. I mean, if you put them over there, they would fail. But, you know, it, you talk about, he, uh, Maxwell talks about brokering gifts. In other words, getting people where they need to be so they can grow into what God wants them to be. And that's watching and seeing where God is placing people. And God shifts people around. You know, he will, what we would call promotion and demotion to God is just moving people into position where they need to be for the moment. But we identify it with, well, you know, I used to be this and now I'm that. You know, I remember at Victory, uh, they had to have a big, uh, they had to cut staff because we were building a building and we were overstaffed. We, you know, we didn't need all the people we had. And, uh, you know, they, they had some people come and observe and they felt like there need to be some changes. So they cut some staff. Well, in that, I went from being uh, a paid staff, I was going to be a volunteer. And uh, I'm, the, I'm the provider, you know. I mean, I'm helping Pastor Bill. By this time, he's, he has a position. He's making money. But it takes both of us. And so I'm thinking, well, I'm going to have to go get another job. And I'm thinking, well, I don't want to get another job. I like where I am. But how am I going to volunteer? Well, in the end, the person, that only person they left in that department with Pastor Bill she ended up saying, I don't want to, I'm going to make a different, I'm going to get a different job. So I end up in that position, but that position was like $3 less an hour than where I had been. So I had to make a decision and we, we decided, well, 
I'm called to be in this position. So I'll just have to go in this position, take $3 less an hour, and do jobs that I've been training other people to do for four years. And now I'm going to do them again. I'm going to do all those things I used to do. Plus, because we're so short-staffed, I'm going to do all my other jobs that I was doing that I was getting paid all that money for. But I had to stay in position. Everybody say, stay in position. Well, you know, that can hurt your relationships. I mean, you can begin to think, well, I'm worth more than this. Well, my value is determined by where God needs me, not what people think. And once we are not devalued by man, then we become very valuable to God. As long as we can be devalued by man or valued by man, then we lose our power to be who God wants us to be. My value is totally dependent on where God needs me for that day in that situation, whatever that might be. Some days, you know, I went out Wednesday night and there was this lady getting out of her car. She had two little children and it was pouring down rain and I am running for an umbrella. I didn't even think get somebody else. You know, I didn't. I just thought get an umbrella. So I'm running out there trying to find an umbrella. And by the time I get to her at the umbrella, she said, oh, they enjoy the rain. Don't worry about it. By then, I am soaking wet from this silly umbrella that's all wet, and I've shook it all over myself. But, you know, see, when, you're, when you don't have a value identifying you, then you can be whatever God needs you for the moment. And you can also see the need in somebody else rather than in yourself. So that's what it's saying. Don't think so highly of yourself. Because at that point, then God cannot put you in a position that you don't want to be in. And if your value is from a position... I tell you, God will remove you. He will remove you from that, that position because your source has become what you get to do, not who God made you to be. And he will move you until he fixes that. It'll, it, he won't leave you there because he won't be able to trust you in a pressure position. You'll be threatened by what somebody else is going to get to do that you used to get to do. And then the relationships get all off and the rowing becomes a mess. Nobody's got their oars in the water at the right time. Are you getting this today? See, God, God is getting us ready. I know he is because I don't know what he's going to ask all of us to be. I might end up at the janitor. I don't know what it'll be. But I'll be preaching to the brooms, I'm telling you. So, you know, where, wherever you end up with God, that's where you have to be. You're very best for God. You know, one of those brooms may need to get saved. You don't know where God's going to put you. I don't know either, but it says in verse 10 of Romans 12, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor. Everybody say honor. Giving preference to one another. Honor is very hard to come by in our society today. It is becoming a lost virtue in the world. It should never be in the church. We always prefer the other person in our church. That means when we hear an evil report, we cover them with love. We don't say, really? Seriously? I didn't know. Let me tell Sally and we'll agree in prayer about it. Well, maybe I should tell the whole prayer team. No. See, the body of Christ covers. We're, we're members of one body. If one of us is being attacked, then the other people have to come alongside and cover that situation. 
and we cover it with the mercy of God, the way God would do it. We begin to speak the word of God and put the word of God. We prefer that person over whatever else we might think in that situation. It says in 18 of the same chapter, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And then it goes on and it talks about don't take revenge. Let God take care of it. And that vengeance is mine. He isn't saying I'll get him for you. Just keep your mouth shut and I'm going to get him. Don't worry, I'll get him next week for you. So don't look for that. This is what he says. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. That doesn't mean he's going to burn up and go to hell. That means that God is going to deliver him with his mercy. The fire is the power of the Holy Spirit. It's going to come on their life. And they're going to be set free and brought into the kingdom of God. It's a much better way. Amen. Do not overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. That's the way God did. He overcame the devil with his son. He made a way for us where there was no way. Now, um, I just want to talk about this, and I'm going to show you a video um, because I believe God showed me this. In relationships, this is how the enemy gets in. First is disagreement. Everybody say disagreement. It seems like a minor thing. Just, you know, you can agree to disagree and stop the work of the devil. But if you stay in disagreement, he's going to work more. Then after that comes division. Everybody say division. And it'll it'll be small at first, but it'll begin to work its way. Next is deception. Everybody say deception. Deception. What happens is once there's division, the enemy starts whispering lies. He's the accuser of the brethren. He'll accuse you in the relationship. He'll accuse the other person. And before long, you don't know who did what because you've been destroyed. Destruction is the final goal of the enemy. So first he comes along, gets you in a little bit of a disagreement. I have learned over the years, sometimes there's things I can share with some people and some people I can't, even though I love them all the same because their revelation is not where my revelation is. And the same with people that I know that are walking in a level that I'm not walking in right now. They can't share with me everything that they see because it wouldn't, I may not be able to get it. And what I would say in that relationship could harm that relationship, but it could also stop what God's trying to do. You know, Eliab was uh, David's brother. And when David, the shepherd boy came, I mean, the whole thing was he was going to destroy Goliath. But you know, his brother Eliab said to him, what are you doing here? Why aren't you taking care of those sheep? Like you're just nothing but a shepherd, little shepherd kid. What you doing out here? Everybody say jealousy, Jealousy. envy, strife. Immediately he brought that. Think of Miriam and uh, her brother Aaron when Moses, they didn't like his wife. And I mean, they're, they're, they're tight. They're brothers and sisters. And I mean, good heavens, Moses has done all kinds of things for God out there with all those people in the wilderness. Aaron got himself in hot water once over a calf. You know, he tried and he left, got left alone and, and built a golden calf. You know I mean? He wasn't doing so hot himself, but, but they got, they didn't like the wife. And then they both said, well, God doesn't just speak to Moses. Who's Moses anyway? Like God speaks to all of us. Well, he didn't. And she got leprosy and her own brother, Moses, that she was talking about because he understood relationship, said, God, please help her. And God said, well, I'll help her. But I mean, she's made a mistake. So she's going to have it for a week. She's going to be out of the camp a little while. 
In other words, she's not going to be rowing the boat for a little bit. She's going to be over there on the shore watching us win this competition. And she doesn't get to be part of it. Hallelujah. You say, oh, God wouldn't do that. Oh, yes, he will. Because God's looking at the whole. And sometimes he just has to take people out of the picture. And we have to be willing to let those relationships go. But we have to be willing to love in the midst of that and recognize this isn't about somebody being bad. This is about God being good. This is about God wanting to do something else at this time. But as much as it is with me, I live at peace with all men as much as I possibly can. Now, strife gets a uh, a hold of people. And once it gets a hold of people, this is what the word of God says in James three, who is wise and understanding among you. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness. Everybody say meekness. That's humility. That's a person who's not preferring themselves, but they're preferring others. That's what Moses did with Miriam. He, he was a meek man. That's what the Bible says about him. And he preferred her over her attacking him, he preferred her and asked God to be merciful in her life. How many of you, you know, somebody really does you wrong, and you say, oh, God, be merciful to him. Or are you saying, pour in the burning coals. Get them out. Make sure they're hot. Hallelujah. But if bitter, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic, for where envy and self-seeking. See, self-discipline takes care of self-seeking. But if we're not self-disciplined, we will not stop self-seeking in our life. Exists confusion and every evil thing are there. Strife is deadly. This is what uh, Pastor Billy Joe, he wrote a kingdom dynamic in this Bible. It said, ultimately, the devilish source of both of, of this kind of living indicates satanic enterprise finding human cooperation. Pure workings of the spirit can quickly be soured if jealousy or anger is given a place. Confusion, which is, listen to this, disorder, commotion, and instability. That's what comes once that gets started. And that destroys relationships immediately. The devil is in charge of that situation. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. Everybody say willing to yield. That's preferring someone else over ourselves. Full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality. In other words, not based on who they are or what they did. Without hypocrisy, like, okay, I'll let you get by with it, but I'm going to tell everybody in the world what you did to me. Now, the fruit of the righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Everybody say peace. Um, I believe God is going to cause in this church in this month to heal people from harmful relationships uh, restore some relationships. He's also going to let you uh, give you the ability to let go of relationships that are not good for you and not good for the other person, but without any malice or any ill will. Why? Because he needs us to be in harmony for what he's about to do in this church that we cover one another, that we speak words of life over one another, and it's not based on where we've been, who we've been, what we've done. It's going to be based on the fact that we prefer the other person over who we are because we serve 
a God who will take care of it. Everybody say he will take care of it. You know, uh, I thought it was interesting. I read this. Most of you know this because I've shared it this year, but it's Joel Osteen's devotional. And today, April 3rd, maybe you have endured unspeakable negative things to the point that you have lost your dreams. You're drifting through life, taking whatever comes your way. You may be tempted to tell yourself, I've been living this way too long. I'm, I'm never going to get any better. I've prayed. I believed. I've done everything I know to do and nothing worked. My life is in too big a mess. You can't unscramble eggs. How many of you have heard that? You can't unscramble eggs. Well, I love what he says. That's true. But God can take scrambled eggs and make an amazing omelet. Turn to your neighbor and say, I can be made an omelet. <laughs> now, you may not like eggs. You, you know, just go along with me, okay? An omelet. <laughs> what it's saying is God can take anything that looks a mess and he can make it into something that's wonderful. These, these things we're going to talk about this month are going to shine the light on weaknesses. I'll just tell you they will. I mean, I've already had mine shown at the river, <laughs> down by the riverside. You know, that's, I'm getting a little, I may have picked me a new place. I hear too much down there sometimes, but it helps me. Everybody say it helps us. When God reveals things that we need to g- get past, it's for victory. Everybody say for victory. And, and some, some of you, some in my life, you know, I experienced divorce. I know what those feelings of rejection are. I know what it feels like to make mistakes and know you're guilty and can't fix it. And you don't know what to do about it. All of us live in some of those positions, but I'm telling you, God wants us to get over it. Everybody say, get over it. I don't mean just forget. I mean, get over that thing so that we can get on the other side of that and be all God wants us to be. And it will require change. And sometimes it's hard. Um, I want to close with this today. I saw this on uh, Facebook from a lady that I was with in Tulsa. She was one of the teachers out there in the Christian school. And uh, she put this on Facebook. It's a little three-year-old girl. And she's talking to her mom and dad who have gotten divorced about how she thinks that they should treat each other. Uh, she's, she's just three, but out of the mouths of babes, if you'll listen, and if you'll turn the volume really up so we can hear, and let's watch this. What else? Then me, Mom, are you ready to be his friend? Yes. Try not to be that... Get high up to be friends. I want everything to be low, okay? Okay. Just try your best. I I don't want you and my dad to be replaced and me again. I want you and my dad to be placed and settled and be friends. I'm not trying to be mean. I just want everyone to be friends. And if I can be nice. I think all of us can be nice too. I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm trying to do my best in my heart. Nothing else than that. I want you, mom, my dad, everyone to be friends. I want everyone to be smiling. Not like being mad. I want everything to smile. Especially when I see someone, I want them to smile. Especially Nana, everyone. I want everyone to smile. And if that's for my dad and you, Mom, I think you can do it. 
I think you can settle your your mean your mean heights down a little to short heights. Then it's both. Okay? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be a bully. I'm trying to be steady on the floor. Not way down. On straight. On the middle where my heart is. My heart is something. Everyone else's heart is something too. And if we live in a world where everyone's being mean, everyone's gonna be a monster in their future. What if, if there's just a little bit of persons and we will eat them, then no one will ever be here. Only the monsters in our place. We need everyone to be in person. Everyone, including me and my mom, everyone. I just want everything to be settled down. Nothing else. I just want everything to be good as possible. Nothing else. Thank you, Tiana. Come again, Mommy Chup Chup. I love you. I love you too. Amen. That's relationship to a three-year-old. But I believe that's the heart of God. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you that we begin to see one another like that three-year-old would want us to be. I thank you, Lord, that, that we'll be settled, that we'll be stable, that we'll be not too low. <laughs> we don't want to go in the pity party pit, but we're going to be straight, God. Help us to be straight. Help us to be like Jesus. Help us to be friends. Your word says, Father, that we have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's Jesus. And help us that we would be that kind of a friend in the body of Christ. To those in the body of Christ, to those outside the body of Christ, that we begin to let down all of our walls of who we think we are and begin to let you come in, begin to heal in this church today. Hurts and wounds in people's lives that are here. You may be here today and you've had some broken relationships. And, you know, when we start talking about relationships and people open their heart, God begins to heal and there can be a lot of tears. 